0: to the Diocesan Digest, a news outlet for the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, coordinator of media. In these short episodes, we will share the latest news, ministry stories, clergy, spotlights, and much more about the Diocese of Oklahoma each week. If you or your congregation wants to share a ministry story or other important news item, or even a particular topic you want to see covered on the podcast, please contact me at s smith at epiok.org. A few announcements before we get into the episode. Hope y'all have a happy and safe 4th of July celebration. The diocesan offices will be closed the 4th and the 5th. We will reopen Monday the 8th. We've also got two celebrations of new ministries coming up this month with the installment of Father Alberto Moreno at St. Dunstan's Tulsa on July 14th and Father Chris Yoder at All Souls on July 27th. Bishop Ed will preside over these services as we give thanks to the gifts and talents both these wonderful priests bring to our diocese. Also, we want to lift up in thoughts and prayer our youth and staff embarking on the racial reconciliation pilgrimage next week to the South to learn about the Civil Rights Movement. Okay, y'all, let's get to this week's episode. I sit down with Dr. Steve Orwig, Dean of the Iona School of Formation. We chat about his career in medicine and its intersection with faith and what the Iona School of Formation is all about, and his vision for the future for the school, and how it can serve our clergy with their evolving needs. Hope y'all enjoy. Here is Dr. Orwig. Dr. Steve Orwig, thank you so much for joining me on the Diocesan Digest. I wanted to start by just talking about your background. Where are you from and what do you do for a living?
1: Thanks, sir. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Actually, I was born in Enid, Oklahoma, but I grew up mostly in Texas. I met my wife, Dana, in high school in Lubbock, Texas. Shortly after we got married, we moved to San Antonio where I went to medical school. And then after that, we came to Oklahoma City to do my residency, and I thought we would probably end up going back to Texas, but that was... 40 years ago, and, and we're still here. We kind of put down roots here. Uh, so that's what I do now. I, after I got out of my residency, I started working at the VA. Again, I thought that was going to be a, a temporary thing. I ended up working there for over 30 years. I retired from the VA about six years ago, but I still work there occasionally, and I also work one day a week at the, at the cancer center. Uh, I'm a general internist, but what I do now mostly is palliative care, is hospice, end-of-life care, and then also supportive care at the cancer center where uh, those are not end-of-life patients. Those are usually people that are getting active treatment and most of them get better. So um, so that's my medical and educational and work history.
0: So I have a special place in my heart for doctors. My father's a physician. He's a gastroenterologist in town. and My brother is also studying to be a GI and my grandfather was a GI. And um, yeah, all born and raised in Oklahoma. And my grandfather went to UT for med school. So a little Texas roots there too. Okay, so let's talk about then your career in the church or your life in the church. Like how long have you been in the Episcopal Church? And when did you start doing the EFM mentoring stuff?
1: Okay, sure. I was was raised as a Methodist. Mm -hmm. I entered the Episcopal Church when I got married, because my wife is a cradle Episcopalian, I say I was an ultra Episcopalian because I came to the Episcopal church when I got married. Uh, and so, um, but, but then that became a very important thing for me. I started uh, teaching some Bible study back in the 80s. And then when my wife, Dana, went to deacon formation to become a deacon 25 plus years ago, One of the requirements at that time was that you had to go through EFM, the Education for Ministry program out of the uh, Sewanee University of the South. And so she started doing that. She had been doing it one year, and I was looking at her materials, and I thought, boy, this looks pretty cool. So I started it. uh, Actually, Hal Greenwood was our mentor uh, for the first three years, and then I moved out to did my last year out at uh, St. Mary's in Edmond under Bill Hess. So... We completed that, and then we were approached. Some people wanted to do EFM, and they didn't have a program where they were. So Dana and I started mentoring EFM back in the early '90s. So, and we've been doing it ever since. So we've been doing that over 25 years. Uh, and so, for a lot of people, know what that is. EFM is a program where it's a four-year program uh, that involves there's a there's a curriculum: Scripture and Church History and uh, Theology and Ethics, but it's also a lot about theological reflection and about kind of listening to your and and developing your ministry so so that's a I think that's a great program um, and that's what we've been doing there I, I might mention uh, also one of the things I've done for the last 10 or 15 years is that at the medical school the secondary medical students have to go through a, a humanities course they've been doing this for a while I've been co-teaching one with another physician on spirituality and medicine, where we uh, talk about where ministry and where spirituality is involved in patient care. I think mm-hmm. there's actually a lot of similarities between the cure of patients and the cure of souls. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so that's been something that were my interests have intersected
0: i want to ask you more about that but first tony wanted me to ask you who your best friend was
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's got to be tony i guess after dana uh my wife dana but (laughs) yeah that sounds like tony but uh okay so so tell me yeah it's tony i just won't say which tony though
0: Okay, so yeah, I've got to hang out with your wife a couple times, and I know I'll spend more time with her that I am I will be probably in the Iona program soon. I'm an aspirant. Exactly. So she's a rock star and a wonderful human. Um, so I want to hear more about your passion for this intersection of spirituality and medicine. I think that's such a beautiful thing, and I've seen that in my, my father's career and my brother's career, just how... Um, how important it is to have some sort of awareness of the spiritual when you're dealing with people because we're not just bodies we're also enfleshed spirits and how important that is to have my dad always talks about a bedside manner and the way you treat people um and like your work in hot like hospice and end of life care especially is very real spiritual aspect
1: to that there's a big part of medicine that's kind of technological and and that's important but it has to be complemented by uh, a more humanistic and spiritual mm-hmm. aspect. Uh, so, you know, I think that's true of, of all serving professions. I think that's true of medicine and of teaching and uh, and any number uh, of things. I think any anything anyone does can be and should be informed by their uh, connection with something bigger than themselves.
0: So, what made you want to get involved with the VA, and what was that? driving passion for you?
1: So it's it, part of it, as it is with a lot of things, which happened to be kind of uh, uh, accidental almost. I had a friend who was a, a year ahead of me who was a good friend of mine. He worked for a year at the VA after he finished his residency before he went on to do a fellowship. And I thought, I, I was thinking about going out into practice, but I wanted a little bit more experience doing outpatient medicine. Uh, that I thought my residency hadn't really prepared me for. So my plan was when I started at the VA was really I was just going to work there a couple of years. Um, but as as it worked out, I um, uh, I kind of put down roots and stuck in there. So there's a lot to like about. There's, there's a lot to criticize about the VA, of course. That, uh, but there's a lot to like about. I mean, the bureaucracy is, is real, and that's a, that's a struggle. But it's also a wonderful opportunity to – take care of people who are in great need and who uh, uh, who deserve the best of care and uh, it's also uh, one of the things I really liked about it is that we didn't have to worry about whether somebody had the ability to pay or not we didn't have to uh, curtail our treatments because someone didn't have insurance Um, so which unfortunately now what I do when I'm working with privately insured patients at the cancer center, sometimes that's the case. So at the VA, that was um, that was something that I really enjoyed. But also, anybody that's worked with veterans know that no one is more appreciative, and um, it's just a, a joy and a privilege to serve that population.
0: Let's see. Why don't we get into your position of dean of the Iowa School of Formation? How did you fall into this role? If I can, let me let me
1: back up a little bit and tell a little bit about the kind of the background and the rationale of this program. So, as a lot of your listeners know, I'm sure, um, the way priests are made in the Episcopal Church, the the, the traditional way, has been that uh, if you're going to become a priest, then you, after you have a bachelor's degree, you go up to seminary, which is essentially like a graduate school. You go up there for three years, a residential seminary, and you get immersion training, intense training as part of a a worshiping faith community in uh, scripture and in church history and in theology and in liturgy and all those things uh, to develop that training to become a priest. And that's a very, I think, a very effective way of preparing people to become priests. Um, And then to make deacons is a little bit more uh, diocese to diocese. Every diocese has their own process for forming deacons and so for example the process that Dana went through back in the 90s was uh, run by Rick Brewer and Hal Greenwood here in the diocese two men that I have the utmost respect for and I think that was a a very a very good program one wonderful program so they met out at St. Crispin's one weekend a month for uh, three years and got a lot of training and experience Um, when the Bishop Bishop Ed came 10 or 11 years ago, he um, he kind of put the ordination pipeline process on pause for a while to kind of reassess what was going on. Partly there was a new element about that time, which you alluded to a minute ago, and that's the bivocational priesthood, the idea that there are people who feel a call to the priesthood, but who have a, uh, already have a, a career uh, in the world, and don't want to give that up, and really can't take off three years of their life to go to seminary. So there was a new opportunity to provide those bivocational priests, people who had a a, a secular vocation but who also would have a vocation as a priest. And again, each diocese was kind of left on their own to figure out how to make that work. So that was coming on. Bishop Ed asked Jose McLaughlin, the canon of the ordinary at that time, to figure out how to make that work. He started looking around, and he found that the Diocese of Texas had a program, uh, that they call their Iona school. And so he approached them, and uh, so a number of different dioceses kind of went together and formed what they called at that time the Iona Initiative, where the Diocese of Texas would agree to let other dioceses adapt and um, use that program for their own formation program. So so we started that. I happened to be on the Commission on Ministry when that was happening and going on and so i was involved in that way uh so the first year at first we were sending people down to texas to go through their school so many clerks and diocese art scrutchins and elizabeth davis and laurie watkins those p- people went down to texas and went through the program there but in 2012 we s- opened our chapter here and started uh bringing people through here the first year clark shackleford was the dean of that school kind of in charge of it he um stepped down from that after a year, and being on the Commission on Ministry, I, uh, uh, and that was about the time I was retiring from my medical career, so I talked to Jose, and uh, we agreed that I would give that a go, give that a try, so, and then they decided I had to stay on until I got it right, so I'm still doing it, so. Uh, so, we, we've had, we're just now entering, let's see, I guess we're entering our eighth year uh, we, the, the September class will be our eighth year in Oklahoma, uh, not counting the ones in Texas. We, just this month, we graduated uh, a group of six. I think that makes a total of 26 graduates we've had through the Oklahoma branch of the program. They are going to be ordained this Saturday down at the cathedral. Uh, so, so that's kind of—so uh, we are using this now both for formation of deacons and for formation of bivocational priests. Um, so, maybe i can tell you a little bit about kind of the structure and the content. The, the way we, the way that operates here, it turns out that each diocese that has adapted this program has tweaked it to their own needs. So, with uh, and and the uh, the School of Iona in Texas has given permission to do that. Some of it is very similar to the way the deconformation program was before. We our students meet. September through June, for one weekend a month, Friday evening through Sunday noon, out at St. Crispin's. And uh, part of what they do during that time, they have some academic responsibilities, so they do scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, for a year, they do church history for a year, they do theology and ethics for a year. And then in addition to that, there's a lot of what we call practical sessions, which includes a lot of different things. It includes uh, liturgy and spirituality and music and things like rule of life, and so uh, a lot of different things. That uh, One of the things that guides us is the Episcopal canons have requirements both for people who are going to become deacons and for people who are going to become priests that say they have to have this minimum set of training. So we make sure that all of that is included. But then there's sometimes we think there's other things that will be useful to those too. So that's the training part. Another thing that we ask them to do is, is that we worship together. So we have evening prayer on Friday evening, morning prayer Saturday morning, Compline Saturday evening, Eucharist on Sunday morning. And the students are responsible for designing and leading each of those services and for preaching at, at the services, not the Compline, but evening prayer, morning prayer, Eucharist. And so each weekend we'll have three different students that will be leading a, a worship service and preaching. Uh And then one other aspect I'll mention, and that is, um, it's harder to measure, but I think is really, really important, is just the development and maintenance of that community, that um, worshiping, safe, loving community, which is kind of all on the students, but they have done a wonderful job of that. A little bit like EFM, every year you have a different group. You have some people who are who were there the year before and you have some new people and so it's always changing a little bit and that's kind of the way it is at Iona but uh but all the students we've had have done a really good job of making the new people feel welcome and of uh carrying on that culture of um, mutual respect and uh, support and love
0: awesome I think it's such a valuable asset to our diocese and such a great way to help form and shape and educate folks especially like you said who have full-time jobs like me I'm the exact person that would benefit from this even though I've done seminary there's still things I need I'm gonna have to do Um, and what I love how we get like a group of people together and kind of walk through it together and and we have a ton this year we have like 20 aspirants so how exciting what what's your vision for Iona in the next five to ten years would you say
1: oh well A couple of changes I see coming that we're going to have to defeat. One thing, uh, you know, with Michael Durning being here, the new candidate, the successor to Bill Carroll, that's been really helpful and kind of uh, stimulating to me because he brings a different perspective and different uh, approach and sees things with different eyes, and that's been very useful. As I was telling him recently, uh, you know, when you're doing something like this for a while, the things you do well... You do well, and the things you do poorly become invisible to you. Mm-hmm. And so, so it helps to have somebody come in and say, what about this? What about this? And, and make us kind of uh, make sure that we're plugging those gaps that might have been there. So that's one thing. You alluded to another challenge that's coming up, and that is we have three new students starting in September. We may have 16 new students starting in September 2020 because there's a really big aspirancy class, the one that you're going to be a part of, and Dana. Uh, and so uh, so, so we've already thought about, we've made some tweaks to accommodate this smaller incoming class. We're already thinking about how we're going to accommodate a bigger class a year from now. Uh, so part of that is just kind of logistics, but we want to make sure that we do that so it's uh, effective and it works well. Every year we look at what we've done and we try to... Uh, maintain and improve what we're doing well and we try to develop and improve what we're not doing as well. Uh, and I, and I, uh, you know, I feel very proud to have been a part of this and, and privileged when I look out at it, the people who have graduated and who are serving around the, the diocese like Brian Beard and Suzanne Mollison and Larry Rogers and Cuco Escalera and all, all the, I could go down the whole list, I, I, I think that a, is a wonderful asset to the diocese and to the church. Uh, One other, one other thing that we've talked about, uh, and this is more kind of blue sky uh, going forward, is that in some dioceses they use their formation program not only for forming ordained clergy, but also for helping different orders of lay ministry. Mm -hmm. For example, either lay preachers or lay Eucharistic ministers, or or just people, just lay uh, lay people who want to be. more active and more effective. That's a little bit of what EFM does, but it's also, I think Iona might be able to serve a special role there. We've talked about that for a while, uh, but we don't want to do that until we, number one, we know what we're aiming for, and then number two, we know that we can do that well. Mm -hmm. So, but that's something that I think is kind of interesting and, and exciting. You know, I, let me mention one other thing that I, I should have uh, mentioned is that the other thing that makes Iona work is the contributions of all the different people around the diocese, the different clergy around the diocese who have served as faculty or, or presenters. And so Tim Sean Humans has been, uh, Canon Bill was uh, before, Tony has helped a lot since he's graduated, uh, Jason Haddock's and uh, Emily Schnabel has has, has done our Uh, Book of Common Prayer teaching uh, over the last several years. Last year we started a new kind of uh, uh, session with uh, Mother Tammy Wooliver, who she's a CPE supervisor at the VA. She came out last year for eight sessions to do some kind of clinical pastoral education training for the Iona students, and I just met with her yesterday. We're we're, uh, probably going to continue that this upcoming year to find ways to uh, provide that for the, the students. So.
0: I love this. It's so exciting. And I love that we use like our resources, our people here, our priests and deacons here to help in that formation. And I've talked to Father Sean Eckberg. He's like, "You coming? You coming to Iona next year?" Mm-hmm. I'm there and I'm like, "Yes, how cool to get to work with um, your colleagues and your people you're, you know, look up to and that are here and you have relationships with." I think that's such a cool thing. Um also, I'm pumped for my role in all of this to help you promote this. And we need more media and video and ways I'm already, my brain's already moving of how we can highlight Iona better and highlight what you all are doing to make it even more attractive to getting folks to go through these programs. Because we need priests right now and we need deacons. We always need deacons, but we definitely need priests um, in our diocese right now. So, what a cool! way to do all that right here in Oklahoma and not, like you said, have to send people away. Mm -hmm. Um, My other question was, how do you see the different types of priests interacting in our diocese? So we've got priests who go to traditional seminary, which is a kind of, you go away and it's a very intensive three years of your life. You're not really, you can't have a job. You're really like going to graduate school, like you said. Um, And then we have the School of Formation, which is more for bivocational priests or just a slower tract of getting kind of theological education, but it's different than seminary. And do you think that the priests that have had these two different experiences see each other as the same, or is there any issue with, with that?
1: So that's a really great question, really complex, complicated question. I think, and this is my impression, I think so far in the Diocese of Oklahoma, that's been... Uh, that's worked well but I, I think there's a potential for some tension there uh, that just as you said on the one hand we, it, it's been made clear by the bishop and many others that, that uh, people who ordain, who are ordain, ordained as bivocational priests who have gone through Iona or some other local formation program they have they are full priests they have all the priestly authority that anyone else has that anyone has gone to seminary But as you point out, it's a different process for getting there, and I don't want to minimize that. Iona is not seminary. It's not the same kind of intensive immersion experience that a residential seminary provides. There are some seminaries around the country that I think feel threatened by local formation programs uh, because uh, they see that as a possible um, that they are competing with people who would, might go to seminary who are, uh, otherwise who are doing this. And, and early on we said that probably that's not a concern because the people who go to Iona are people who probably wouldn't have gone to seminary. To be honest, I'm not sure if that's always going to be true. And so I, I have to say that that might be a legitimate concern. Um, but as you also alluded to, one of the things that by vocational priests, uh, I think the, the idea behind creating that track was that there are a lot of small congregations who just could not afford a regular priest if they were going to have to pay a full-time priest. And, and someone who comes out of seminary, I think, has the expectation that they're going to have gainful employment as a priest. And so to have someone who does not depend on the church for their income is a great opportunity for some, some places. And so in general, non-general uh, bivocational priests are, are not stipendiary. They do not get paid. Uh, and so, the the places those places that I mentioned in, you know, Suzanne Mollison and Altus or Brian Beard or Larry Rogers or all those people, they're serving small congregations that w- wouldn't have a priest or they would have an occasional supply priest perhaps, but they wouldn't be able to have a priestly presence if it weren't for this program you know for by vocational priests but but to get back to christian i I do think we still have work to do to figure out how to um, make sure that they're all kind of working together as it often happens w- whenever people from these different uh, backgrounds get together that's that usually works well it's kind of sometimes more in the theoretical and abstract that there are uh, clashes. But you know at this point, I don't think seminary priests and bivocational priests are competing for the same jobs. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, it's, that's one source of tension that's probably not there. But to be honest, I don't know if that's always going to be true either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, an example I give sometimes, let's say somebody in their 30s or 40s who has a full-time job becomes a bivocational priest. But then after another 20 years or so, they retire from their secular employment, and uh, they might like to be a full-time priest at that point, and many congregations would be very happy to have such a person and to pay them. And so uh, how's that going to work out? I think that's something that the church as a whole hasn't come to a consensus about, but I think we'll need to... uh, figure out those kinds of issues
0: those are all my big questions um tony did tell me however though you're a big trivia guy how do you are you good at all the trivia or how how does that work
1: no i'm not i'm definitely not so there's actually there's a group that i every about every tuesday night i normally meet with the group and we go do this buzz time online trivia thing and so there are so i'm pretty good if it's medical I'm, i got that if it's if it's bible or history i'm pretty good at that on the other hand, uh, there's a lot of stuff they, ha- if they have stuff on architecture or pop culture, I'm not so great at music. I'm actually pretty good at classical music, which includes anything from Beethoven to the Beatles. <laughs> but uh, but uh, so there's lots of categories that if they have anything on fashion, I'm hopeless, uh, even on business. So there's lots of different categories. But fortunately, in our group, we have different people that have different uh, skill sets. So it's kind of it's a uh, we complement each other.
0: I love it. I love it. What a what a cool skill set. <laughs> yeah.
1: So let me mention one other thing about the Iona program. So, so I mentioned earlier that we what we are doing is adapting a program that was developed at the Diocese of Texas. Actually, and so that became the Iona Initiative, which an early uh, at, at the beginning was a group of seven dioceses, which were kind of came together to share ideas for how to spread this. Over time, that's grown. I think there are now 23 dioceses involved, or about that. And in the last few years, it's moved from the diocese of Texas to it's now under the auspices of the seminary, seminary of the Southwest in Austin, mm-hmm. under John Lewis, and I, he just does a fabulous job of leading that. So now this the is the Iona Collaborative. Uh, once a year, we get to go down and meet in Camp Allen and meet with people from the other dioceses to to learn from each other. To uh, so the last few years the seminary has put on some presentation but also one of the great things is just hearing how they do it in Arkansas or Wyoming or West Texas or Hawaii or and uh, and so we we've changed things and tweaked things based on what we've learned there and I think other people have have learned from our experience too there's two things I'll mention that opportunities that have risen as a result of that the uh, the Episcopal, I think it's Episcopal Preaching Foundation. It used to be the American College of Preachers. Uh, has a program every year where they invite seminarians to come to a week-long uh, se- a course on preaching. Mm-hmm. Well, starting last year, they started inviting Iona students. Mm-hmm. So l- last year, 2018, was the first time they did that. And so uh, we were invited, our diocese was invited to send somebody that we actually sent tony moon to that program Um, i hope he didn't embarrass us i'll have to check on that Uh, and and this year we got invited to send another one again so Therese Starr just went to that program a few weeks ago so that's really kind of a neat exciting thing that normally this is something that seminary students have had a chance to do but now even people who are going through local formation programs have had access to that and it's partly because iona has developed i think a reputation of of excellence second thing that has become of that is they, they start they got a big grant and they're starting a program uh, next month called Thriving in Ministry. Initially it was aimed at by vocational priests. I think they've expanded, I know they've expanded it to deacons now, where uh, students have an opportunity to apply to this program if they get and there's a couple of different uh, or three different options. one's on preaching, one's on clinical pastoral education, one's on spirituality in congregations. So the idea is that they, uh, the students will go down to Camp Allen in Texas for a few days for kind of a kickoff face-to-face session. But then for the next year, they will meet either weekly or, or every two weeks by video conference. I think they use Zoom. And uh, and have with within a small group and sometimes on one-to-one, and they get special training in whatever topic that is. So it, look, it's a—and it's— you know, they have some really top-notch people involved. It really looks like a great program. We have six Iona graduates that are participating in this first kickoff year starting next month, and it's going to be continuing for another couple of years, and so I'm hoping, in fact, maybe even an ongoing program That is the hope, I think. So I'm hoping that each year we will have an opportunity to to send people to that kind of training, kind of continuing uh, education type training, which it, which I think will be really top notch, is pretty time consuming. One of the good things about these first three years, because of the grant, it's completely free of charge to the diocese and to the student. There's there's no no cost. Uh, there's a as I said, there's a pretty good sized time commitment, but uh, but otherwise that's that's a really neat opportunity. So those are a couple of things that I think being part of the IANA Collaborative gives us some opportunities. Very
0: nice, very nice. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Doctor Orwig. It was a pleasure getting to getting to hang out and learn about the Iona School and about your background a little bit. But what a cool resource we have for our, our diocese and our folks. So Thank you. Appreciate it. For joining us y'all be sure to sign up for the diocesan newsletter at our website epiok.org newsletter and follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the episcopal diocese of oklahoma see y'all next week and peace be with you